0: Hi everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's special episode, we are chatting with Jaco van der Koy, founder of Winning by Design. We are talking about where SaaS has been coming from, where SaaS is going from here and what you can do about it. Enjoy. It's not as cool as this stuff though. You know,
1: I get the
2: same, is... because I got a roadcaster as well, right? That looks yes. like a roadcaster. Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, that's yeah. What it is, yeah. So, I mean, we can start now. Yeah, let's start now. And I can say we uh, <laughs> we have a person on the show we've been following for quite some time. Uh, we both apparently have the same equipment. And oh, wow, really is, enjoy, no one else has that. And really enjoy music while presenting. It's a person who has a, a dog icon
0: emoji in front of his name. I think yeah. a lot of people know that now, actually. Differentiation. And, and my, my little story is, uh, we recently were invited to the same... to speak at the same digital event, um, and uh, he went the day before me. And I opened the whole session with, like, you know, I'm so happy that I'm not following this guy because I couldn't match the energy level. And what happened? Uh, the guys running the show basically literally played a clip of you. With the new high-pass. Just, like, literally in that second, I was like, okay, cool. You know, still following that guy. But we are obviously, everyone knows this already by now. Uh, we're talking about Jaco van der Koy. Yeah. Uh you know, a founder found of Winning by Design. So oh, uh, nice. wonderful to have you
1: on the show, Jaco.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It is a treat. Uh, what are we going to do today? What is this all about?
1: Yeah. So uh, be- beyond talking about following you on digital conferences, You're heading up, I believe, uh, also research at Winning by Design. And not so long ago, you launched a uh, paper talking about solving underperformance. And I think it also hammers into some of the challenges a lot of companies, uh, specifically SaaS companies, face. So that's definitely some of the stuff we're going to get into today. But I think before we hop into the nitty gritty of the report, uh, I think it's good to maybe just for you to set the stage a bit and tell us where where are we coming from as a SaaS industry? Where have we been, and where are we today uh, as as an industry? In five minutes, yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, essentially, we are currently the best way to describing it. As an American saying is, "We're using this Ferrari as a lawnmower right now." This Ferrari of a SaaS machine over the past years have been used as a lawnmower, and let me explain to you what I mean with that. SaaS, by nef- de- definition, is a customer-centric approach to sales. It should generate that. Why? Because if I create the right impact for a customer, the customer will renew the revenue with me. If you don't do that, you know, you're know you going to stop buying from the customer. It's not like in the old days where you're, you know, like in, in those days that I used to sell, you would sell a couple, you know, like millions of dollars of worth of hardware, the, the equipment would be shoved onto a pallet, and as soon as the pellet hits the truck, the revenue was recognized and the cash 30 days later was in the bank and profit was 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 earned. Like, no, no, no. Today you have to do that for in many cases for years. That means for years you have to service your customer. However, the unfortunate part in this process was that somewhere in the middle of that journey, let's call it like like 2014-15, people figured out that the growth of the company generated more access to more capital, and as a result, that the value of the company would go up almost irregardless of what the customer did with the product. And so if you see how companies go public in the mid, you know, like in in the late uh, 2018, 19, 2020, Mm. 21, it's all about what's my valuation and how can I increase my valuation? It has nothing any longer to do with, is my customer happy? Companies. You know, like CEOs at major SaaS events get on stage, not a, not to brag about you know like how great their customers are telling uh, are thinking about them, but how much how much funding they raised. The other day, I kid you not, <laughs> I kid you not, their press releases about companies who are announcing their debt financing, mm. like congratulations, people, you closed a two million dollar debt round or a ten million dollar debt round, fantastic! Like folks, <laughs> like since you got when a loan, a-
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The um, uh, I think the um,
2: wait was that was that an uncomfortable silence or was that a comfortable silence? I don't know. What I <laughs> <it was. laughs> no,
1: I think it was some delay actually. Yes, so it's, it's all. <laughs> it's so good. So just so we know, we rarely edit anything out. So we're yeah. gonna say we're gonna edit it out, but probably it's gonna stay in there.
0: Yeah, probably it's gonna <laughs> stay in there. But the so uh, I mean uh, obviously a lot of that was about you know growth, 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 growth. But this whole NRR topic or NDR and so forth. I mean, that hasn't been only around since, you know, last year, right? I mean, those That's are right. topics that have been like, you know, ongoing and ongoing. And, and I think it did feed into some of those valuations that, that were achieved by those, by those folks uh, raising those rounds. Right.
2: That's right. I, I, a quick thing. I, I don't want to, I want to make sure that we realize we're not going to point to VCs and say they are to blame. Okay. And we can not point to founders and say they are to blame or to companies like us and say you're to blame. We're all to blame everybody is to blame this is not like one person did something wrong and everybody you know like respond would you know like followed or something It's not the case I can tell you I speak to a number of venture capitalists or you know, a lot like a lot of them and they are saying the same thing is like look I had no choice because you know like uh, during the 2018-19 year time frame it they were telling me that if if I wouldn't fund them they would get the money elsewhere and I, I got to you know, like they too have to make good investments and good companies which is simply driving up that valuation for which they then said, good, hey, look, if, if you want a valuation of 20X, you got to show me the growth, right? And so, so this was just, uh, uh, you know, an entire ecosystem that chose to go that route. And I add the tool vendors in there, right? Because now we add the tool vendors that write email sequences on top of that. And, you know, like you start to see the marketing style and everybody just piled on, right? We have... Uh, recruiters bringing in lower level talents uh, and charging 100k for like a person who started their job on Monday, first job ever gets paid 100 thousand dollars, right? Like everybody piled on. There was money to be made by everyone, and we all we were all partaking in it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think um, so. I mean, you know, late teens that was that was still kind of considered a normal state, right? And then I think it went into a fever pitch early early 2021. You know, basically, you know, the the post COVID. Boom on the on the valuation side, on the digital side, and SaaS and so forth, where some of that stuff that you're kind of pointing out as an issue, even became, you know, I don't want to say worse or better, but even went more crazy, right? And I still remember a post of you, you know, during that time, and this was pre, uh, let's just say Ukraine, so pre before you know some of these uh, some of these valuations came down, pointing out that, and you were you were the unpopular voice in the room, by the way, in the in the LinkedIn room, which was. Um, Hey guys, this is not sustainable. You know, you, you cannot keep doing it this way. This will come to a crash at some point. You, you sounded like one of those economists that's always, you know, ranting around at the, the recession. Right. But you know, you were, you know, you were right, obviously. Right. And kind of you saw some of these things, not in terms of a, this is going to happen, but through the X-ray of a guess kind of winning by design and the, uh, the bow tie and, and think like, Hey, that cannot actually work out. Right.
2: No, that's right. But I want you to to I, I think that like put it in perspective of time around 2000, 2018, two thousand two thousand eighteen nineteen. Uh, I, for sure, I was already speaking at at conferences like SAS Talk about sustainable growth and that we needed to move there quickly in order to mm. you know like make sure that we protect the 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 assets, aka the investors' interest and 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 the and the, the founders' interest. So this was already happening. The problem with COVID is. It essentially put a hold on that and told everybody, see, you were wrong, and it threw more oil on the fire, right? And and it just yeah. made everything worse because suddenly, who am I to tell, you know, like a Zoom or a DocuSign that they should have sustainable growth? You know, like they just went gangbusters at that point in time, right? And so, like... For a, for a while and you know, like we all had to to take, yeah, there was there was no more need to tell anybody what to do, no more process needed. It was just hire people, put them to work, get going <laughs> and like, like it was madness, right? That is 2021. Yeah. What I want you to see and what I want you to experience and also if I go to the paper um, that I wrote on this topic, I want you to think that there was a golden age of SaaS and that golden age started in 2000, uh, early 2012 with Mark Andres' paper "Software is Eating the World," right? yeah, and it ended on right early December, late November of 2021, when DocuSign was the first company was the first top ten SaaS company that toppled and saw its its valuation in you know like its its stock price drop from whatever three hundred dollars to fifty dollars, something mm-hmm. significant, not like twenty percent. Mm-hmm. No, it became a fraction of what it was. That was the first. That was like, and and still at that point in time, a few companies started to realize that it was happening, you know, like three, six months later, the entire market, right? Don't forget early in, P- in Q1 2022, PE firms and VC firms are still advising, most PE firms and VC firms in those days are still advising people to hire, invest, 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 spend that money, spend that money, right? It's only in April, May, that yeah. that's the, the the lead VC start to start to hint at it, and it's yep. only May, June, July that the whole Kitsingabulu starts coming down, right? It took no, that I mean, long.
0: I mean, I I still remember, I think David Sachs, I think he was the one pointing this out, right? Kind of, hey, you need to go to 24 month uh, runway, actually 30 instead. I think the white combinator guy went to, hey, you know, the, the default alive kind of that kind of playbook, right? And I think you're right. That was around April, May last, uh, um, yeah, 2020. Two one, I'm mixing things up now. Twenty two, I guess. Um, it's and it's 22. actually also, actually also, when we raised our seed round. Kind of, I think we were one of the last ones. Uh, not that this matters for this <laughs> podcast, actually. But you know, we were one of the last ones, actually, kind of being able to benefit from that upswing market. And then after that, you know, after the summer of twenty two, basically kind of, uh, basically kind of flat lighted from from there on.
2: Yeah, and I think that so we have to put in context that that. That this industry, while giving clear and indicative signals that it's torpedoing, aka this large SaaS company and one of the largest SaaS companies in the world, starts to tremble and fall right before for Christmas. Right, mm. that even then it still took us three, four, five, six months yeah. to let the reality sink in. Where you know, like where people like myself, but also also you know, like more notable people in the in the finance in in, in, the, in the financial industry, were clearly signaling like the folks, this this can't come. The point I'm also trying to make is like, look. It is not that we are, that I have some incredible foresight that this was going to happen, right? If anything, I'm more like, everybody, we all see this. Why are we not believing that what we are seeing? Like, what is it that, that we're in this psyche that it is clearly visible that this won't work? It's clearly, the, you know, it's clearly expensive. Um, clearly the response rates on emails have gone down. The SEO uh, effectiveness, right? Getting on the first page and how much money you have to pay for that—all that, that was already in, in getting into shambles. So wh- why are we why why are we not holding uh, yeah, why are we not holding seances right now in order to go like what do we do? What do we do? Hmm. I can tell you why because you want to know why. Yes. You, do you want you <laughs> want to know why?
1: Yes, please tell us.
2: Because <laughs> we do not know what to do what to do else. We don't know what to do. If we knew what to do, we would have done it. We have nothing else. That was it. The only thing we can do in this industry that we do very effectively: hire people or fire people. This is like you have to understand that I was about probably ten VCs that that know what they're doing. Mark Suster is one of the ones from LA that I have a tendency to follow. I I, I think he's a good bellwether uh, that gives me a good idea. And Mark, you know, like everybody else, they follow the other VCs and they just look and act like the smart way by just copy and pasting what the other is saying. So. If these 10 people are not saying anything where to go, today the number one play that every VC will still play, which I have been playing for the past 18 months, is fire more people, cut cost. That's the play. I
0: think so, and um so so I think you're totally right. I also think that up until the 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 cash drain was closed, there was also no need to come out with something else. Right? So it's not only like, oh, we we don't know what to do, but there was also you know, you didn't have to really kind of force yourself to do that, right? And, and obviously that cash problem then created its own snowball effect within the SaaS industry, right? I mean, this is, I think you called it the biggest churn event in history, or I'm not sure if it was you actually, but it's really that that's what we've been seeing, right? And some of that is probably attributable to, um, hey, the, the way we've been doing, you know, sales, wasn't sustainable and we sold a lot of crap and people bought a lot of crap and you know that is coming to a little bit of a hold but at the same time also people are going through a cash crunch at least on the SaaS side or people that you know have uh, you know investor backing so to speak instead of being profitable and they're basically trying to find ways to cut back right and if you're cutting back 40 50 60 on on your FTE cost you're obviously going to look at your vendors and do the same thing there as well right I mean I think those were those were then some of the um, you know, results coming out of this and that then is now driving lots of efficiency and, or, you know, uh, you know, other ways to try and, you know, still, you know, grow and be successful with the same resource or with rather less resource.
2: The startup world using venture capital, uh, funding is the largest unregulated scam in the world where you can get money easily if you want to. And this has been proven again and again, and I'm not talking about the good companies that earn it and that deserve it and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Like there's 10, 20% of that market has a full right to be there and should be driven by it. But if you go back to the 1990s, internet launches, what is the quickest way to get rich? Launch your website. Few years later, what is the quickest way to get rich? Get a million visitors on your webpage.
0: It was eyeballs like a lot, right? Kind of, it wasn't, it was basically that wasn't with accounting, right?
2: Eyeballs, right? If I go back and I worked in hardware world, is what ship equipment. How do we do that? We created warehouses in Atlanta called resellers, and we would simply ship equipment to that. It wasn't going to customers, but we recognized revenue bookings based on shipments. So as long as we had a, a had a had an air bill that the equipment went out, the revenue got recognized. Okay, if you go down this line you end up in SaaS that we, you know, like the metrics of SaaS can, so, can be so much manipulated by a founder that people can drive revenue. The current way, which is currently falling on its, what has been, what I've been talking about behind the scene that is unaccessible, which we can bring out today in the world, is how PLG has been abused in order to drive up NRR. What we have seen and what I have advised, numerous founders of companies that are associated with this approach that you cannot do, is the following approach. Let's say I have a $20,000 platform, pick any number you will, and and this is not reflective of one customer, this is reflective of dozens of customers that have high valuations. What they would do, they would drop the price on the first sale, let's say to $8,000. So instead of $20,000, I'm dropping the price to $8,000. I call it PLG. Hey, low price, two users. You can put 10 users on it, but let the product sell itself. Product-led growth. Let the product sell itself. And I discount it so much for all I care, I could make it $0. Right? Now, that customer goes into year one. And as that customer sits there, goes like, hey, this is a reasonable, good product. Right? As they enter year two, they go like, no more discounts. I told you in year one, you could test it out. But now in year two, you need to pay full price. And so automatically, NRR is gonna catapult because the price of that customer goes from eight thousand dollars that they got discounted to twenty thousand dollars that they got listed. That, that list at my NRR dollar goes through the roof. I suddenly are looking at one hundred and sixty percent NRR or something like that, right? And yeah, you know, I put that in the books. It's fantastic. Okay, now the customer starts to grow normally, and the NRR keeps growing, goes back one hundred and twenty-four in year two, one hundred and eighteen in year three, and so it, it slowly you know tapers out. And everybody thinks this must be the best investment ever right it's not you just you know like now is this legal absolutely there's nothing illegal about this
0: yes and i think you know i think um so we actually call it nr hacking uh this this exact kind of play i think uh placing this on plg i think you also kind of and maybe this in the in the podcast is invisible but you know jaco used air quotes a lot when you're saying plg because that's obviously not referring to the you know the the idea the 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 wonderful idea of plg where people can use stuff and you know getting in there but really this uh you know sell low and then kind of graduate them or force them basically into this thing and and you know de facto kind of then uh, increasing your net retention kind of using that that's kind of the trick that you're that you're really referring to here right
2: that's right and i think you know obviously you know like plg today is used as a marketing lead generation campaign and as a sales methodology. And, mm. and like, if you if we would only go back to the origins of PLG, um, you know, people who 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 used PLG did it because they hated marketing campaigns and they hated sales methodologies. <laughs> and so, for it now to make it full circle to be used as a marketing lead gen, lead gen campaign is like, I, I'm certain that somebody is like cursing themselves for ever having come up with it.
0: Before we go in with the next topic here did you see the latest inside partners research that actually shows that uh, sales and marketing expense of plg are higher than uh, of sales led motions did you see that
2: and we saw it we noticed it we have participated with our insights on it like like look this this is not for, the, the <laughs> thing that we the thing that we deal with is and what i want you all to realize is we're dealing with hero ball. The, the reason why this market is the way it is, is because we're dealing with hero ball. Hero ball is a term in America that you use when you play basketball on a team, but you throw the ball to one person, that person keeps dribbling and shooting, doesn't pass the ball around. It's just yeah. that person takes the ball, hogs the ball, and then does something with it. Yeah. Soccer, same thing, right? Um, it's, there's probably a good analogy of me putting some Dutch, Dutch soccer player in here, but I'll let that be <laughs> for another day. We're in the middle of hero ball right now. And this hero ball is done by any conference in 20-minute slots. They are putting somebody on stage. Doesn't matter. As long as that person has a good stage present, can tell a story, provoke the audience, and they laugh a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that, then the organizer of the event is happy, right? Because the organizer of the event gets paid by butt and seats, right? Butts and seats and, and 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 um investment dollars by uh, by those who are sponsoring, right? Which requires again butts and seats. So we all know how this works. And so the organizer is just putting, putting heads on the stage in order to entertain the audience, like, like a musical artist, right? Is that person speaking? Is that peer tested as in, did people review if he or she is right? No. Is it scientifically proven? No. Is the data behind it that is often presented? Absolutely not. What we are seeing is pure hero ball. One person stands on stage giving a story of how they won the lottery last month, right? Which numbers they won the lottery with uh, as, a, as a famous thing, right? And then that's it. And so then the audience goes away and goes like, P-L-. and now if there's five people, five people on stage within the morning and the keynote involve, involves PLG and then the t- two of the following speakers talk about PLG, then PLG is a trend. Then we have a trend. And then everybody goes out and goes like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. None of this is scientifically proven. None of this is data driven. None of this yeah. has, has any merit of why we should be doing it other than this is the trend. And so we went to the past cycles. We had the inside sales trend. We had the ABM trend, target the audience trend, yeah. and now we have the PLG trend. And yeah. so we go through these trends, right? Because we think that these trends are the next big wave of things and they are not. doesn't mean that inside sales doesn't work. Of course, inside sales work. Yeah or a company that can benefit from it. It is not a, it's not a hammer that you can put in your toolbox and use everywhere, right? And hmm. same thing as PLG and same thing as ABM. These things work when you apply them correctly, when you've done the research and you apply them to the right accounts or the right situation or the right market.
1: Do you, you can't so, use them as generic tools. So I, I have to be the referee now. Oh, okay. I mean, we're having a wonderful conversation and we could probably do a two-hour podcast and it, and it would still be great, by the way. Um, but I kind of want to progress a little okay. go. Now we've talked about the Golden age of SaaS, right? Um, what has actually changed for business? What challenges are they faced with today?
2: Please keep that silence in if do not cut it out. That was the answer. <laughs>
0: Oh wow! How many how many times did you deliver that one? That was actually like like pretty smooth on that side. So, but so uh, you know, explain that a little bit more. Obviously, right? So nothing has actually changed, right? That's your point.
2: That's my point. Nothing changed. Yeah. And and like I said, because people don't know what to do, they, they, you know, like there's exceptions, right? I'm not talking about like 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 I w- I want to talk about the nine out of ten, not the one out of ten who's doing something, right? Yeah. yeah. People don't know what to do. And, yeah. and so this market is at this point in time is in an in a full standstill catatonic mode. And, and as a friend of mine, uh, uh, Ted McKenna said, is the fear of messing up is now bigger than the fear of missing out. Hmm. The fear of missing out is what fueled mm-hmm. this entire market yeah. over the past decade. Yeah. But now the fear of messing up. Because the penalty for failure is... A radically low valuation and most likely your hopes and dreams, that what you have worked on over the past 10, 15 years, for some of them their entire life dedicate their entire life to is gonna be like, you know, like squabbled away within within 18 months.
0: So, I mean, this was there was actually, you know, one of the one of the points I had, and you know, I can't fully square it in my head, and, and maybe your silence helped it with this a little bit. You know, when you look at some of those research firms like Gartner or you know, now even even G2 is doing those kind of analyst kind of jobs they're all predicting IT spending or, you know, these these kind of categories to actually increase. I think Gartner has 2023 increase on in IT spending at, you know, almost 10%. I think G2 for next year has Don't something remember. something similar, which, you know, when you compare it to all the other categories of spending, is kind of going in the right direction, right? So it's like, it's, it's hard to square the circle here when you think about, like, wait a minute, you know, some of these arrows are actually pointing in the right direction, but we're all here doing so, so badly, right? The conversion rates are down, the sales cycles are longer, ACVs are down. You know, some of that stuff you've, you've also been, you know, doing research on, um, is that kind of, uh, you know, basically kind of leading to this, Hey, actually nothing has changed, but actually the, the approach and the mindset has changed fundamentally.
2: Um, I don't think the approach and the mindset has changed for, for the, the founders and, and, and. VPs of revenue and revenue leaders, VPs of sales that I work with, that mm. they have not. I mean, they're, they're all like still holding back. I mean, I, I don't see like there's, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer to this, by the way, don't get me wrong, but mm. I'm, I just want you to know there's nothing has changed. The, the, the answer is clear what needs to be done, but people are not doing it right now. Mm. And, and, and there's an, again, an explanation for why that is happening and, and, and so on and so forth. But um, yeah, people are, are like sitting, I was sitting on their hands Hoping that they either can cost cut their way to growth, which you can't, right? Line share cannot. Yep. Um, or to hope that the that the circumstances change, which they will not. You know, like like, and then just a brief moment, many people will say, "Oh, money got expensive, and that's the reason why this changed." That that is the case. It was a cause, but the cause that co- that made that problem is. We shouldn't have been spending that much on growth anyway, right? Like we were already spending too much money on growth. The fact that VCs were willing to fund that and that then it went in hyper mode cannot be say, said, oh, money is now expensive. No, no, it's important Played a role and cause a lot of this to, to, uh, to come to an end. But the fundamental problem is that we're spending too much on growth by companies who shouldn't be growing. We're forcing growth into companies, so we're forcing their valuation up. So we're forcing their exit strategies and then we're telling, you know, like this happens all the time, after the company goes IPO, we're telling the public markets, there you go, I made my money, good luck with it, right? <laughs> this is the common trend, right? Yep. Like, like, let's not misunderstand that the VC firms have little to no interest in a company after they go public.
1: But let's go to the solution side, Michael. Well, so... I think you you move a bit further in the report to actually pinpoint some of the challenges, this underperformance. Can you tell us a bit more what what is the underperformance we're looking at today?
2: Yeah, so the underperformance comes down to this. We are sitting post-2008. We have a large scale of the workforce who actually does not know how to do their job, has been underinvested in, and which I refer to as unskilled labor. So we are dealing with unskilled labor. I'm not pointing to the finger to the people and saying it's your problem to be unskilled. I'm not pointing to like, oh my gosh, this has gone wrong or that is wrong. I'm just saying we gotta be realistic and we gotta know that a large part of the workforce is unskilled to do the job that they need to be doing. Second, we do not have enough experience any longer from the 2008 area. When we were in 2008 and the financial crisis, almost every revenue generating person that was in, in in a leading function had gone through in our world, had gone through the dot-com bust, right? If you think, we had a lot of crises in 93, 98, 2002, 3, 2008. So by the time we got to 2007, 8, there was a lot of expertise at senior level on knowing what to do. Today, we lack that. Today, most of the VPs in position, the CROs in position, were not in a high enough position during the 2008 years that they actually can leverage the insights from boardroom conversations that they learned then. They may have been a director or a manager, but they weren't in the boardroom. So we're, we're missing this experience on what to do down here. And as a result, we have a whole generation of executives that have learned from the TV, cut people, cut costs, cut, 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 right? <laughs> let's go, like, let's burn it to the ground and rebuild it back up. And, and they do not know that this is the time of opportunity. This is the time that the best, you know, uh, entrepreneurs in the world perk up and go like, okay, like, and there's a saying, I'm, you know, some of these sayings are a little bit uh, fatigued and tired, but the iTunes Santa saying still goes well. And it is like, hey, it's really hard to pass 12 cars in, in a fantastic weather. But if, the, if it's raining and the, the weather is bad, okay, then you can start passing lots of cars in a Formula One race. And that's the point that we're seeing right now, and that that's where I'm trying to point to. And as we get to the solution, obviously, we need to tackle the problem: unskilled labor. One, you need to tackle that. Number two, overdependence on tools, because of the unskilled labor, we have deployed a gazillion of tools inside, and we have asked these tools to deliver for us. There's books written about like the efficiency of tools versus the efficiency of, of of humans, and Steve Jobs did a fantastic little short on that, right? About a man on a bicycle and and in the end, we are infatuated by tools. Look at the madness that is, re- re- is around ChatGPT right now. You talk to any point in time. And, and I replay to you a conversation about how that relates. Uh, I was on another podcast somewhere earlier this week. And, um, and the, the conversation was about ChatGPT. And they they asked me, how do I like ChatGPT? I said, it's a fantastic tool. Um, Do you think it will help? I said, absolutely not. Um, You know, like it will destroy. We should be very careful. And, and, you know, like these things. I I think ChatGPT is a tool. The tool is not the problem. The user is the the problem. And the person said, but yeah, but the emails are now so much better. I'm going like, that's fantastic. I agree. The emails are better because the average writer cannot compete with an automated tool that good. And so here we have the overuse of a tool to write better emails. Now, are you going to open up more emails that are better written? Do you walk into the morning and go like, dang, that's a good written cold spam email. I'm going to open that email. Maybe one, but then you're going to get a thousand of them from a thousand different vendors, all equally powered, all using the same tool, all using the same algorithm, all getting the same email. 18 months from now, email will, will no longer, we will be desensitized by email. Our LinkedIn posts are automatically generated, so people won't post original thoughts. They will be published. LinkedIn email messages will be coming from spam. So all this is gonna, if you, per, if you foresee what is happening right now, you extend this forward. Like I don't have to be brilliant down here to let you know, this train will hit that wall. It is going to happen. There is no question about it. What is the outcome of this? The outcome of unskilled labor that is using too much tools is skilled labor that doesn't use tools. It's as simple as that. If you want to run a good revenue organization right now, teach your people to pick up the phone, dial the number and call your customer. Get on an airplane, have a drink with them in, in, in the other side of town, go meet with them, right? This is, where, this is as clear as day as the trend where it's going and we already see the signals, uh, the the data that shows that that is right. Become part of a community, No longer are we going to measure you if you have like 80,000 followers on LinkedIn. That is no longer of interest. What we want to know is do you have 300 followers on LinkedIn and those 300 you can reach out to and connect with and have conversations with, right? And those 300 people are the right kind of people. So we're going to go off this entire volume, which you already know because you brought it up, the eyeball volume, the visitor volume, all these things that we have seen in the past that were volume-based. We're going to go right back to quality. The pendulum is going to swing. We're going to end up with very skilled salespeople in two, three years and organizations that invest in their sales teams and marketing teams and, and meet their customers are going to succeed. And that's going to drive NRR from the right customers. From mm. That's all the point, from the right customers.
0: So, I mean, to a degree what you're saying, we, we talked about this hacking NRR piece. Uh, we talked about hacking growth or forcing growth. I think you mentioned it and the tools used unskilled labor, tons of, uh, sorry, the, the, the ways to achieve this tons of unskilled labor, because that was just available in the market and tons of tools used in order to scale the whole thing up. Right. And now everyone is sitting there and you know, wondering, so what's, what's the next, what's the next play going to be? And, and you're basically very old school and maybe very, very correctly. So pointing out folks. It's we're gonna go back to basics. It's gonna be smart people, skilled people working pretty hard, doing human interactions, doing true, true building true connections with other folks. That's how we're gonna conduct business going forward, right? Is is that your message?
2: <clears throat> That's my message. I want if you're a listener, you're a VP of sales, I want you to look up whether you have uh, I'll call it a meeting call recording tool of of choice. I want you to stop listening to those calls. I want you to start measuring how many calls they are recording. I want to know how many meetings in- person meetings do my cust- do my people have with my customers because if they have on average four meetings a week, you know like look and and I come from the days of um, uh, what's the the Cisco uh, uh, guy again that guy yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> we know we know who if you
2: do not meet, sorry.
0: We, we know who, we, we also, I, I can't, I can't pick up the name. Nah, of
2: it's just like, that, that's how old we are getting. Yeah. And oh. so, but the the point is like, if you don't meet with a customer, I, my CEO that I work for, the, the person I worked for Rob from said to me one thing, I need to see expense reports for you. If I don't see flight expense reports, you're not doing your job. I don't need to see visit reports. I need to see expense reports.
0: Question on this, right? And this is something that you guys at Winning by Design has also been popularizing. This whole concept around, you know, ACV and matching that to emotion, right? So jumping on a jet, going to see someone in person, that's that's an enterprise piece. Suddenly you're talking 50k and up, right? Do you, do you see a, a squeeze then happening below that? You know, if if you say, hey, that's the way forward, is is there going to be a um, you know an issue coming up from for the smaller the smaller ACV ranges? do You think? Of
2: course not. Of course not. I want you to jump on an airplane to fly to New York to meet with your $25,000 customers. But while you're there, I want you to organize drink and invite three customers and 16 prospects to have drinks with you. Then the next morning, I want you to go running with a friend of you who's gonna introduce you to three more accounts, you know, like, then that afternoon you're gonna have lunch with uh, a channel in the area or a partner, you know, like, you're setting up business trips. You're not just visiting one customer and flying back. That is a week on the road. Look, you're like, I grew up, Monday you leave the office, you come back on Thursday night and Friday you do all your paperwork, right? That's the the world I grew up in. Welcome back to the good old, you gotta go out on the road, right? Fantastic that you work remote. I truly don't care where you live if you live in sales. You can live, you know, like in, you know, like somewhere outside of Salt Lake City, 20 miles south of Salt Lake City or 30 miles north of Denver, right? Get on an airplane. We lived, and the world that I grew up in is, I don't care where you live as, lo- as, clo- as, as long as it's close to an airport that, that has many connections. That's the world of remote working, right? And we're going to go back to that. We're going to go back to that for the successful companies, right? Don't get me wrong. There is obviously a for inside sales for smaller deals, higher velocity. Inside sales teams are a, a niche tool that should be employed appropriately. PLG is an approach that a company based on a very product centric, uh, group of people that came together, that is an approach. PLG is not a marketing, uh, lead gen campaign or a sales strategy. It is a fundamental product design strategy that mm. was generated five, 10 years before it has gone to market.
1: So I wanted to surface one of the points you had in, uh, in the paper itself, which is to be honest, a bit dark and gloomy. It's that two third of reps. Are no longer able to hit target and uh i think if you're right now sitting and listening and you're a revenue leader if, if that was me i would wonder hey that's that's cool there's a couple of basics we need to have in place but i need to make an impact uh tone and Mikkel the next you know 60 days what am i gonna do yeah a- and i know that's also something you kind of addressed a bit uh in that. So i would love to hear your uh your take on that
2: yeah uh, so we now have like um an incredible sample size, you know, like over the past three to six months, we've noticed that there is an, uh, we notice what it takes to perform. Uh, I wrote this paper quite a while ago, but at this point in time, we know what the solution to this is. So that, that that's good. In those days we were still uh, poking at it. We have multiple problems taking place that can, there's no single solution. If somebody says, you know what, I'm just gonna hire a, a, a rep that that, that that is fantastic, do that. Long, but there's limited reps of that. So you, you can't. At this point in time, just to, to relate the statistics cor- properly, and I I, I, um, I I simplify it a little bit. The top 20% is no longer the top 20%. What historically has been the top 20% is 4.4% today. The bottom 10% is no longer the bottom 10%. It is approximately the bottom 28%. If you manip- If you simplify the numbers, about one out of every three, Uh, Is not motivated, is not performing, and has no role, no rhyme or reason why they should be in the role they are. They were overhired. This has happened in two thousand two and three. It has happened again and again. It's not a problem, but those people are not in a job that they're contributing to the company. They're just consuming, not just money, but often resources and opportunities of people who can do better, right? So whether they won't, whether they can't, that's not the point. The point is they're not accountable and. There's no value for them in the role that they're currently at. Whether they should be fired, i leave that up to mm-hmm. other people to determine. But there's one third that doesn't contribute. There's one third, the middle third, that uh, we don't know what to do with. I'm going to come back to that. And there's the upper third. There's about like 28% of the people that actually does reasonably and is on average above 80%. Performance, whether that is on quota, on sales, onboardings, expansion, NR generation, lead gen, generation, all that, right? across the entire. So about one-third of the audience actually uh, of your workforce actually delivers. Two-thirds, that middle one-third and the bottom one-third are, are below performance. The problem is what happens with that middle one-third. I call it the normal performer or the subnormal performer. The normal performer is the is the top performer that, that hits reasonable quota. The subnormal performer is not delivering right now. The group of underperforming and under normal sub-normal performing is 60 as close as 70 percent that group is so big that they have dragged the average down so i can no longer talk about averages because the averages has gone or i need to talk about historic averages Mm. but that is so far off the chart right now we're talking about you know like if you have a sales team of 10 people five or six people are not even are able to hit 50 to 60 percent of quota right like like normally, that's your bottom ten percent. Your bottom ten percent is now twenty-eight percent, and they are at twenty. And they are at like thirty percent of quota, mm-hmm. right? Like this, this performance curve has shifted drastically. And many of you who are listening to the spot are probably listening to this podcast because you want to know. Like this is my world. I have no way how to do it. I need somebody like Jocko to tell me what to do. In a second, I will tell you. <laughs> this is the problem. The problem is that the one third at the top really performs. The middle group. I want you to listen to this because this is super important. The middle group is looking at the the group above them and go like, dang, these people work hard. And they look at the bottom group and they're like, dang, these people have fun. And that middle group is trending towards the fun group, not towards the working hard group. That's the problem that's been happening over the past six to 12 months. Nobody dares to call about it. And I I have this tendency to say, Simon Sinek, I need a word, (laughs) (laughs) I need a word here. Okay. Like, like companies are doing everything that Simon Sinek explains in his book and the workforce, and you're empowered to do that and welcome. You decide, don't take my orders. No, that is what gets us into this problem right now. We have now reached a point is we know at this point in time, what works, we know what you need to be doing. And as odd as this may sound, can you please. Do what I ask you to do, and as, as I stated, you can do it your way after you have proven that you can do it my way, because my way works, right? But this this mindset is I, I can't rely on people that are that are in their late 20s, early 30s are telling me how to do my job, or uh, to, to do the job where everybody else is doing, clearly not showing any results, and then blaming the market. Of course the market is challenged. Of course it is. But you're supposed to be able to be functioning in the challenge market. That is why why you're supposed to be a you know like a superstar. Or why we hired you, or, or why we pay you so much money, or why your valuation is so high. So that's step number one. Step number one is execute proven process to work. Do more of what works, and stop doing what doesn't work.
1: Yeah, sounds sounds pretty simple. So when I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it,
0: I think it's um. So just kind of summarizing this from my perspective, right? And yeah. <clears throat> there's stuff obviously going on in the market, and you mentioned this. I, I would say it's it's probably a little bit more than just kind of the middle group wanting to have a little bit more fun right I mean you know it's it's it seems a bit simple pointing it out like this and and obviously kind of the the simplicity of this message kind of is, is really entertaining and also powerful but I mean there's the the, the market has been getting tougher and uh, just blaming it you know that all the time is also not the right answer by the way I totally agree with that right um but the you know, I think you guys uh, published some research on conversion rates going down and a couple of other things actually happening and being under pressure. And you basically are saying, hey, listen, all of that stuff is because those reps uh, stopped doing the rigorous process. They stopped following kind of the, I don't want to say the orders, but the, you know, the direction that was set up or that was taught or kind of, is 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 that you think kind of all encompassing as an, as an answer to to some of the overall stats that we're seeing?
2: No, no, you, you, you did, Like I love your point. I love the debate. It just you made a, a really wrong assumption. You, you, you the, 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 the assumption that you made that that tripped me was. The reps stopped doing. No, no, there's no stopping them. They never started this. <laughs> okay. Again, we can't blame the rep. You, you can't blame the newcomer on the team for the failure. Yeah. What well, What we are seeing is a ca- catastrophic failure at vice president and director managerial managerial level of not developing the people yeah. of not asking accountability of not giving them the right tools of and so on and so forth mm-hmm. look if you're a rep the primary training that 99 out of 100 reps get is a 3-day sales kickoff you know yeah. uh, during a 3-day sales kickoff 2 hours worth of training and everything else they are being force fed through a youtube channel of some sort right yeah. like like that is that is not training, right? That is entertainment, that whatever you what you call. It, that's not training, right? And so, and then the manager, the historically, how have managers manage people that are currently in a managerial role primarily manage on volume metrics and results. Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, you don't hit quota, make more calls. You don't have enough onboardings, do more this. It is like volume metric A, you're below the volume metric, revenue, onboarding, whatever it is. Do more effort. Yeah, that's not coaching, right? That's not like, like if if it would work that simple, I would have done it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, it's a system-wide failure, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, system-wide, we can improve upon this. For people to turn this around in 60 to 90 days, you need to do this. In the function that you manage, if you're a VP of sales listening to the call, you go like, okay, then you focus on the sales cycle. If you're a VP of customer success or a success manager, then you pick the success part. If you're a marketing, you pick something. What you pick is you pick a moment that you know matters most to your customers. In sales, it's almost always the discovery. What we've noticed is that those people of that group, that, that subnormal group and the normal group, the normal group outperforms the subnormal group It does one and a half times as much revenue, one and a half times as much revenue is delivered by those people who simply can extract from a discovery call, what the customer intends to do with the product. If you get to the conversation and you get to understand what the customer intends to do with the product, not the pain they're trying to solve, Mm -hmm. but what is the metric they're trying to hit? Mm -hmm. And you simply what we call uncover impact. If they get that in the discovery call, it leads nearly flat down the line, measured against you know, like tens and tens of thousands. It leads to 100 and, uh, w- you know, 1.53x mm-hmm. the revenue against the same opportunities. The sample size is so big, it is like it is crystallizing how clear it is. What is the difference? The subnormal group sells the product they have on a the truck. They hear the pain and they start, this is what I can do and so on. Simply di- discovering and diagnosing what the customer wants to do, You get Mm 1.53x. In order, therefore, to make that subnormal group active, should I let them flounder on the ground and say, "Well, let's see what you do do again"? No, (laughs) I should teach them how to uncover impact by that. What is working, but the other group does. I don't need to teach them the 16 disciplines of sales and you know, like advanced provocative selling and how spin selling, question based. Like, can we just learn them, like in a single task? Teach them for two hours how to uncover impact. Mm. implement this over the next four weeks, listen to a few calls, share it as a team, do that for 30 to 60 days. And you're going to see your revenue increase because customers are buying impact. They're not buying product, they're not buying features, they're not buying solutions. They're buying what comes out of that machinery.
0: Yeah. And I guess, I mean, so I really like this, this sprint approach, this agile is it's part of the agile framework and the methodology, right? So we're talking a lot about this as well, you know, roadmapping as rev ops and so forth. But the Basically, the point is you take a metric that matters, right? That's part of your uh, revenue engine, basically. And uh, you try and, you know, with a specific coaching effort, try and tweak this up. And then basically, you could decide to move on and kind of, you know, work on a different thing, right? Obviously, there's a human element to it. So you need to do follow-ups and so forth. But basically, kind of that's that's kind of the uh, the, the point that you're making is kind of with those very targeted specific points, right? It's almost like you're playing golf uh, and you, you do it for the first time and you mess up completely it's not like your coach tells you everything that's wrong. No, he just <laughs> tells you, hey, you know what? Put the shoulder up a little higher. You know, it's not like everything is, you know, effed up with you. It's you know, tweak this one thing, mm. and you know, once you get that right, you, you move on, right? Is is that how you would, uh, you know, obviously in your case, it's kind of a coaching sales rep kind of thing, but it's really, uh, you know, this is applicable across the whole revenue engine, and and it's kind of a very much a structured approach to tweaking a specific thing. And ideally, holding on to that over time to actually make it work on compound.
2: It's way more. That's exactly right. It's way more important to teach one skill and let them do that well yeah. than rather than teach them ten skills and and y'all like they don't implement it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's many mathematical ways how I can know, like I can explain why why you need to focus on that one skill and the other th- is simply no. And then you need to make it stick. Mm-hmm. Right, you need to listen to some of the calls. You don't. If you have hundred reps, you don't need to listen to hundred reps. You can listen to one sample call, listen to what worked, and show others this is how to do it. Right.
0: But um, wouldn't just to kind of throw this? Maybe this is you know maybe this is not as controversial as I think. But you've been kind of pointing out a little bit the leadership here also as well, right? Isn't there also some kind of a leadership coaching? <laughs> I'm not sure that needs to go on. That's not only on the rep level, but it's maybe you know one level above that.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to plug my product. We have, a co- we have a course called Revenue Architecture. The one thing that we need every executive to understand is they need to take that course Revenue Architecture so they fundamentally understand where growth comes from yeah. and how it is being generated. Yeah. That's it. Once you understand how SaaS machinery mathematically works, it is blatantly clear marginal gain leads to disproportionate impacts small things have a huge impact that's how the SaaS machine works it has a recurring engine that recurring engine compounds and so on and so forth and not only on the on the nr side it it has an effect everywhere in, in deal closing and lead generation and so on and so forth once I need people to, understand i need to
0: i need to plug our product then you know if, if the data model from you guys is getting too complicated in excel you can try and do the same thing in roblox it's it's fantastic <laughs> But, you uh, know, that maybe is
1: enough on the... On the I'm on the trying side. to be like the polite podcast <laughs> manager referee in the corner because we're, we're coming to an end here. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to say it. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty it's... sorry about that.
2: <laughs> I, I want you to think and I want the listeners to think it, 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 to this point. It's like, look, a, a few, let's establish a few rules of the of the new game that we're entering, Okay, The few rules are nobody knows anything. If somebody knew, we would all be doing it right now and it would be working, we wouldn't be in this mess. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you're a, a plentiful, you know, like VC or, or a person like Jocko and so on and so forth. We all are trying to find our way out. Yes, that's number one rule. We cool with that? Nobody knows. We're all in it. Number two rule. History will tell us what the future will look like. We just have to look back and learn from the past. This problem has been solved before. And it generally has been repeatedly solved before okay number three communities are going to rule this game so your community with the podcast and your listeners to you they are not part of a community they're not talking to each other but they have a have a mini community of your listener with the two of you that's a form of a community yeah and so you have an important role to play in this because you are an educational audience so you should look for data and you should make sure that you pro people and that you do not let it happen again, that some cool dude with a a new product launches an ABM product and then stands on stage and tells everybody this is the way to do it, right? Like, or a PLG product, like that is unacceptable, right? And so that's the third rule. The first rule, and I'll leave it at that, and then we'll, but like, look, if you're in a recurring revenue business, I want you to embrace the, the, the following principle. It's a very basic first principle. First principles are so undeniably true that you, you can no longer deduce them to anything else. Like it is what it is. The first principle of any subscription recurring revenue based machinery is recurring revenue is the result of recurring impact. If you do not deliver recurring impact, you're not gonna get recurring revenue. It's as simple as that. If Disney will stop putting on new Star Wars episodes, we will stop the subscription. We actually just stopped the Disney subscription. If Netflix will put new, stop new putting new TV shows on, we will stop the subscription. If I don't get the impact I pay for, I will stop doing it. Recurring revenue is the result of recurring impact. That means that the goal that you need to set forth as a company is not one to achieve recurring revenue. No, that's an outcome. You need to achieve recurring impact. If you focus your company on achieving recurring impact, your attention goes up, your expansion will go up, you will keep the right customers, your NRR will go up, your valuation will go up, you will go public, you will be as a public company successful. All that just from helping your customer achieve the, the impact that you promised.
0: That's uh, Jaco van Luka for you guys.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you Jaco. Always welcome.